We've seen uh, evidence, more evidence, and even more evidence, and proof, more proof, and today is even more proof of the love the Lord has for us. And it is demonstrated to us in the promises that he gives to us in this little passage here, John 16, verses 25 through 33, the end of the chapter. So if you're able, would you stand with me as I read the word of God? Gracious Lord, come upon us today with your Holy Spirit, that our eyes would be open, that we would see what you have for us, that it would penetrate both our minds and our hearts, break down the defenses that we have, Lord, crash right through and into our lives, that we would know your word and know your truth, and that we would live it. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. John chapter 16, verse 25 and following. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. An hour is coming when I will speak no more to you in figurative language, but will tell you plainly of the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will request the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me, and I and have believed that I came forth from the Father. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father." His disciples said, Lo, now you are speaking plainly and are not using a figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. And Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, an hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. There are just a whole load of things in this passage. Some are veiled, some are really fuzzy, and some are plain and in the open and easy to understand. Now, the disciples think that Jesus has given them a pretty plain and simple, straightforward teaching here. Uh, And Jesus over here, after he does this and after their response, look in verse 31. He says, do you now believe? Now, this is kind of ironic, sarcastic almost from the Lord, as if to say, you really don't get it yet, okay? And so he's saying, so now you believe? After I have given this to you in this way, now you think you believe? And, and the disciples, they still don't get it, but the day is coming when it will come clear to them and they will see all these things. I mean, on the one hand in this passage, he's telling them uh, how, how bad their behavior is going to be, how they're going to fail him, how they're going to be scattered, and how they're going to desert him. And then on the other hand, he is telling them about the victory that is theirs in just a few short days. It is a victory that is, as well, is ours. It's a victory we have nothing to do with. It is a victory we did not earn. It is a victory even in the midst of the time when we are failing. It is the victory of Christ that he has given to us. We Presbyterians, in our fancy language, we call it imputation. It is Christ's grace imputed into our lives. He who had no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, We don't have any righteousness. Christ has 
all righteousness. He has no sin. His righteousness is imputed into us, our sin to him, and that is the sense and that is the way that we find salvation. Okay? We are assured in this fashion as well by his, of his love. So we could spend a lot of time in the passage here, and, and, but I think, as I have read this, I think what we need to hear and be reminded of is really comes in verse 33. So make sure you're there in verse 33. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Now, we looked last week at some of the sweetest words that, that we could hear, that there will be an end to your struggle. There will be an end to your sorrow. A day of joy is coming, and, and we looked at that. And here, this week, we are, we are challenged with two promises, two promises that are given to us. One is that you will have tribulation, and another promise is in a statement, I have overcome the world. Now, Jesus is the one source of joy in this world, the one source of joy that the world cannot take away. It comes only from him, and it undergirds everything in our lives. That's what we saw last week. And Jesus is also the one who is eternal and gives eternal life, and those are part, that's part of the package that go into assuring us of his love and care for us. So this week, there are two promises. The first one is that you will have trouble. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm not too excited about this promise, okay? Uh, there are a lot of things in God's word that I don't, I don't get all worked up about, okay? I don't go around and saying, you know what? You want to come to Christ, let me tell you, there's going to be trouble, okay? You're going to have heartache. You're going to have people hate you. There's going to be tribulation in your life if you come to Christ. That's, that's not, in, in society would say that's not a good marketing tool, okay? But it is the truth, okay? Now, hopefully we're far enough down the road uh, as far as the word goes that we understand we will have trouble. And it's not just trouble for those who wear their faith out here. You know, the people who are extroverted with their faith. Who You might be sitting, uh, sitting in, a, in a doctor's waiting room and the person next to you strikes up a conversation and, and before you know it they're talking about spiritual things. It's not just those people who have trouble. Not just those people who will be hated by the world, even the people who are shy and, ex- and introverted. You know, the ones that, that you have to ask them about their faith, and they'll tell you about it once you get them going. The world will hate them as well, okay, simply because they belong to Jesus Christ. If you belong to Christ, you will be hated. If you belong to Christ, you will have trouble. And then Scripture says here you will have tribulation, and we'll look at that word in just a moment. Now, this is in contrast to the things that we see back in chapter 14, where it says, um, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives it, but I give it to you. And then in the early part of 33, it says, These things I have spoken to you, that in, you, in me you might have peace. So he's talking about them having peace, and in the next very next breath he is saying, but you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have trouble. You're going to have stress. This word in the Greek means pressure, oppression, affliction, um, uh, distress, to be in dire straits. I mean, it's a pretty drastic word. These are the terrible things that will come upon you because you belong to me. These are the types of things that can, believers can expect as long as we are in this world. And it should come as no surprise to a believer that we will face these things. Ever since sin came into the world, there have been these things in existence. Okay, Everybody faces trouble. 
Everybody has hardship in their life, whether they're a believer or not. There are things that are particular to believers because we belong to Christ, and we have seen that kind of ramp up here, you will be hated, as an example. Now, non-believers face trouble, but they handle it in a different way. And I don't want to lump all non-believers. I'm going to give an example here. I don't want to lump all non-believers together in one way. Uh, you know, that's, that's pretty easy to do. You know, uh, Republicans can lump all Democrats together. All they want is everybody on the government dole. And Democrats can lump all Republicans together. All they want is... Uh, I, what, what do we want? I, I don't know. Uh, we, we just want the rich to succeed, okay? Or, or you might say, all those Alabama fans are nothing but rednecks, and, and the Alabama fans, those, Al, those Auburn fans are nothing but engineering geeks. Or, you, you know, the, the uh, Presbyterians say that the Baptists, you know, you've got to dunk them all the way, and the Baptists think the Presbyterians are frozen chosen. You know, we can lump them all together, okay? It, it's not that hard. The illustration I'm going to give to you is from one of the most famous humanists, Bertrand Russell, on his understanding of how a humanist deals with suffering. Okay? Now understand, a humanist believes that we come from nothing and we are going to nothing. Okay? When you die, you will go in the dirt and the worms will eat you and you'll be gone. And that's just the end of existence. Okay? There's nothing but this world to focus upon. So Bertrand Russell wrote, The life of man is a long march through the night, surrounded by invisible foes, tortured by weariness and pain, towards a goal that few can hope to reach and where none may tarry long. Very brief is the time which we can help them, in which their happiness or misery is decided. Be it ours to to shed sunshine on their path, to lighten their sorrows by the balm of sympathy, to give them the pure joy of never-tiring affection, to strengthen failing courage, to instill faith in hours of despair. Let us not weigh in grudging scales their merits and demerits, but let us think only of their need. That's how he deals with suffering. That's how he calls other humanists to deal with other people's suffering. Now, the balm of coming alongside or sympathy, that's nice, but what is missing in his dealing with suffering? Hope. Hope. Okay? Victory. There's nothing like that there. Why is it? This, this is all that there is, and suffering is going to come on him, and, and he understands suffering as bad. All suffering is bad. Now, the believer does not un- understand it that way. We might not like suffering. Okay? I don't like it, for sure. But it is not all bad. Sometimes it is the furnace in which we are placed by the Lord so that the dross can rise to the top and the Lord can come and skim it off. And what are we then? We are pure in our faith. Our faith is more mature. Okay, I like to to give the image of a funnel. You know, one end of the funnel is this big and the other end of the funnel is this big. And sometimes the Lord shoves us into the big end and we come out different. We don't like getting smashed and mushed, but we come out the way the Lord wants us to on that other end. Okay, if you've got little kids, you know the Play-Doh machine. You jam the Play-Doh in and you press it down and it comes out in the shape of a star. Okay, just a long thing. That's the way we come out. The Lord jams us into this, this cauldron of suffering or tribulation and out we come. And what do we look like? We look more and more Christ-like. More and more Christ-like. Because that is the goal. That we become more and more like Christ, more conformed to his image. That our countenance is gentler, 
that the way that we treat one another is more like the way that Christ treated people, that our priorities are more in line with his, that our hearts are more broken. God loves a broken and contrite spirit. This is, these are the things that the Lord loves. Okay? So when we look at all of these things, we find that the first promise is that we will have tribulation. People deal with it in different ways. For the humanist, there is no hope. Just try to get over it. Try to get away from the suffering. What's the second promise here? As I said, the second promise is in the form of a declarative statement. I have overcome the world. Now remember the context that we're dealing with here. Jesus has just chastised his disciples because they're about to be weak. They're about to be scared. They're about to be scattered. Each will go to his own home. They will leave Christ alone. Only Peter will follow him at a distance. And when he's challenged by the little servant girl, what does Peter say? I didn't know him. Three times he says he did not know Christ. He denies him three times. But tradition tells us that all the disciples, except for John, were martyred because of their faith. It was after the resurrection that they, they... the light went off, if, if we can use that term in their head, and they went, that's what Jesus meant. Okay, Remember, on the road, to, after, after his resurrection, he talked and shared all those things from the Old Testament, and then their eyes were opened to who they were talking with, and it was Jesus. Okay, Into the room where the doors were sealed came Jesus, and Thomas said, I don't have to touch you. I know you're the Lord now. Okay, These were the things of Christ. It does not say that they will overcome the world. It does not say that they will be protected from sorrow. It does not say that they will somehow slide through the rest of their lives unharmed. They will all give their lives, except John, for the things of Christ. It says, I have overcome the world. What do you know about the tense of that? It's it's already happened. It's, it's, It's in the past. I have overcome the world. He has not been crucified yet. He has not been buried yet. He has not come out of the grave yet. But he is saying it as if it is already done. I have already overcome the world. This is the guarantee of the strength of Jesus Christ, of his grace and of his power and of the working out of God's plan in this world. I've already done it. It's guaranteed. We think of Romans chapter 8 and that, that great section where it says, you know, chosen, justified. And at the end it says glorified. When does glorification happen? It happens in heaven. But it's, all, it's spoken of as if it's past tense. It has already happened. For the believer, it is guaranteed. And who has guaranteed it? Christ, the one who has given his life. The one who gives his life as the sacrifice is also the one that guarantees the results of that sacrifice. Take courage. I've overcome the world. Now, people experience this. How do I want to say this peace in a variety of ways? Let me give you two illustrations of how people have experienced this peace in their lives. Where two, two artists were asked to paint pictures portraying their respective ideas of what peace would be like. One artist painted a landscape and it was a pond and, and you know, kind of that gentle flowing um, uh, pasture land and, and, and the pond was like glass. There was no wind blowing and that was his image of peace. And some life, some lives of believers are like that. There's hardly ever a ripple in their lives and they just feel like the Lord has protected them and everything goes along smoothly. 
The second artist painted this picture, and the wind is blowing like, oh, get out, and there's this river that flows through the middle of the picture, and over the river hangs this, you know, one of those willows, and, and, and on, on the, it's right above the river, and the water's splashing up, and there on the edge of the, on the branch of the willows are two birds, and they're looking at one another just singing, okay? That's peace as well. The world around us can be in, in, in torrents of rain and storm, and there we are, we're safe and at peace because we belong to Jesus Christ. See, there is a peace that comes that only is found in him. We will have trouble, but don't worry about it because I have already been victorious over everything. Over everything. He defeated Satan. He conquered death. Because I live, you shall live. Those are the promises to us. We know from the words of Paul, death has no sting. The grave has no victory. Will we face death? We will face death. Will we face the grave? We will face the grave. But it has no victory. It has no power over us. Remember, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I don't walk through the valley of death. The believer walks through the valley of the shadow of death. Christ faced death. He took all of the weight of all sin upon his shoulders. He took the weight of death upon himself. What does the believer face? It's just the shadow. Okay, go stand out on the street and let a truck go by you. The shadow of the truck goes over you. What do you feel? Just the shadow. Christ, this is a crude illustration, Christ stood in the middle of the road and the truck ran over him. He took the weight of death upon himself. We just feel the shadow. That's what it is for the believer. Those are the promises that the word, the word gives us. Those are the promises from Christ. If you believe in Christ, you are an overcomer. We read from 1 John chapter 5 those words. Jesus says, I've, I've overcome the world. I've overcome it in my life. I've overcome it in my death. I've overcome it in my resurrection. In life, in spite of the grief and the temptation and all that he faced, he was obedient to the Father. He was without sin. In death, He was the price of sin. The price of our forgiveness was paid by him. In his resurrection, he returned to the throne of grace, right hand of the Father, from which he came to give his life, and now he rules the church to return again. He has come the first time as the Savior, and the next time he will come as the judge. He says, I've overcome the world. And it's strange that he says these words the day before he's crucified. The day before, the world looks upon him as the biggest loser, yet he is guaranteed that he has overcome the world. The influence of the world is is powerful, but it's not all powerful. It has been overcome. It no longer has any power left other than what the Lord permits the world to have. We understand from the book of Job, Satan comes and says, hey, let me have a Job. And the Lord says, okay, you can do this to him. You can do no other. Satan is limited by what the Lord says. The power of this world is limited by what the Lord says. The 19th century theologian, who's pretty obscure, so I won't even give you his name. He wrote these things. There must be no surrender. There must be no compromise, no fellowship with the world. Here is our Lord's war cry. Him that overcometh will I permit to sit with me in my throne even as I also overcame, and I am set down with my Father in his throne. Ere long the conflict will cease by the victory gained, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, 
and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. The day is nigh at hand when Christ shall come to reward his servants. Then shall the victor be crowned. And oh, the delight of casting these crowns at his feet and ascribing forever and ever glory and honor and dominion and blessing to the great overcomer, to him who conquered for us, who conquered in us, who made us more than conquerors. It is sweet to anticipate this glorious result of all our tribulations and struggles. And in the enjoyment of peace in him, admits these struggles and tribulations to raise, though in broken accents and with tremulous voice, the song which, like the sound of great waters, shall unceasingly, everlastingly echo through heaven. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Let's pray. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. For Christ has given his life for us. The very Son of God, the Eternal One, left the right hand of the Father and came here in the midst of us. And he makes a promise and says, you will have tribulation. But he doesn't say, and I'll abandon you in the midst of that tribulation. Lord, your word is clear. You are always with us. Nothing can take us from the palm of your hand. There is nothing that we will face in this world that is stronger than your grace within us. We will never be allowed to go in and face a temptation that we cannot resist through your power and strength. And the promise is that I've overcome the world. It is our victory because it's yours. And your grace is imputed to us. It fills us. It pulls us along. It takes us to the very throne of our Heavenly Father. And to him, through your work, we can lay our lives down there and seek his grace and his mercy. Seek his help and strength. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you today and and we see these promises and we see these things are guaranteed to the believer. But we are still here in this world. Strengthen us today, Lord, that our hearts might be, might be filled with this confidence that can only come through you. That can only come through knowing that your plan is being worked out. And part of that plan is that we will face tribulation. But we will do it with the knowledge that our Savior has overcome the world. Lord, we pray in his name. Amen.